Let's come around the word this morning. I've got something on my heart to just want to share with you and pray that you'll be blessed by it. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would uh, take the natural now and create something supernatural. You can breathe on things that make it turn to life. So we dedicate this time right now to you. Tune our ears to hear, our heart to receive, our mind to receive. That which is hidden, reveal. Just across the auditorium now, would you just touch just the side of your head now and just say, Lord, reveal the hidden this morning. Reveal the hidden. Anoint my eyes to see, my heart to receive. I know now that we will leave changed and different. This is not just a meeting, Lord. This is an encounter with your word. And every time we encounter your your word, you reveal and release and bring life. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Shanessa. When we start this thing called walking the Christian life, there are many passageways and doorways we enter into to uh, help us along the way. I remember getting saved way back in 1981 and one of my key disciples was Michelle's mum. I don't know whether she had an ulterior motive about it. Um, Could that just go down a bit, but thanks guys. And, uh, but she discipled me and she began to mentor me on what's prayer, what's fasting, why fast, why pray, why the word. And all of these things became part of my framework to help me on this journey called my new life. She spoke about community, the need to be in church, not just show up to church, but why you're at church. So all of these things became practices and principles I applied to my life to see God's purposes and plans outworked in my life. But I want to share on one thing today that I discovered some years ago, and it's so true, and it's so real, and I want you to see that if you can catch this this morning, I pray that your life will start to go into another place with Him. And come with me to Acts chapter 10. We're going to land on this today. It's the story about Cornelius. And it says here, (coughs) And there was a certain man named Cornelius. He was in Caesarea, a centurion of the Italian cohort, one devout and fearing God with all his household. Thank you, Bailey. Both doing many merciful deeds to the people, and praying continually to God. And about the ninth hour of the day, he saw plainly in a vision an angel of God coming to him and saying to him, Cornelius. And he was gazing at him and became terrified. He said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, I love this, your prayers and your merciful deeds or your acts of generosity have come up before God as a memorial. Aren't you glad your prayers are heard by God? They come up before God. And now send some men to Joppa 
and called for Simon, whose last name is Peter. So Cornelius, this man, this devout man of God's praying, he's praying about something. And an angel comes in response to his prayers. And what triggered me this time when I read this passage of Scripture was, the angel comes and says, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers, number one. Number two, God's seen your acts of generosity, number two. Why didn't the angel just say, number three, I'm here to give you the answer to your prayer? Here it is. Which opens up to me for the first time that every prayer will be answered by a person in a place carrying your promise to your prayer. And he says, so send some men to Joppa. I've got your answer, but it's not here, but I know someone who's carrying it. And I've marked them with it. They're commissioned for it. And so he said, I want you to send some men to Joppa. Now, now Cornelius, please, please don't miss this. He says, now when you send some men to Joppa, I want you to meet a man called Simon. Now, Simon is down by the beach, and it's not that Simon. It's Simon who's living beside another Simon. Now, don't get confused, Cornelius, because that Simon is a tanner. I'm giving you as much information as I can, Cornelius, not to muck it up. There's a particular person in a particular place carrying your particular promise to your particular prayer. I need you two to connect. The power of a divine connection. Don't miss it. There's this person in this place carrying your promise to your prayer. And God always uses a man or a woman. And this started me on the journey of discovering the power of a divine connection. Do you know that you are an answer to someone's prayer? Tell the person beside you, you're an answer to someone's prayer. You are. Someone's been crying out. Someone's been crying out. And you're an answer to them. So just for a few moments this morning as we come around the lounge room having a little devotional, I want to touch on four things. What does a divine connection look like? How can I position myself for divine connection? What's my role in a divine connection? And what's God's desired outcome? Okay, you ready for that? Okay, let's go to 2 Kings chapter 4. We're going to pick up this particular story. And it's about a woman and a prophet. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8. One day Elisha went to Shunem. A prominent woman of the city invited him to eat. And afterwards, whenever he passed that way, he stopped for dinner. She said to her husband, I'm sure this man who stops in from time to time is a holy prophet. Let's make a little room for him on the roof. We can put in a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp he'll have a place to stay whenever. We'll look at whenever soon. And once when he was resting in the room, we'll look at that too. Do you know divine connections are a place of rest, not stress? You don't have to force it. 
Tell the... And after a while, he said to his servant Gehazi, tell the woman I want to speak to her. Now, when she came, he said to Gehazi, tell her that we appreciate her kindness to us. Now ask her, what can we do for her? Does she want me to put in a good word for her to the king or to the general of the army? Well, look at that. No, she replied. I love this, the spirit of humility and integrity. I'm content. I'm not doing this to get something. I'm doing this because it's right to do. What can we do for her? He kept asking Gehazi. She doesn't have a son and her husband is an old man. Lord, it's a miracle. Call her back again, Elisha told him. When she returned, he talked to her as she stood in the doorway. Next year, say next year. At about this time, you shall have a son. Oh, man of God, please don't lie to me like that, as though she'd heard that promise before. But it was true. The woman soon conceived and had a baby boy, just as Elisha had predicted. The first thing I need to learn in preparing myself for what I believe are divine connections, I must have and operate in the spirit of hospitality, a place of refreshing. Once while Elisha was in town of Shunem, he met a rich woman who invited him to her home for dinner. After that, whenever he was in Shunem, he would have a meal. To position yourself for God's emissaries of grace and goodness into your life, you must operate from a place of hospitality, meaning my life is bigger than just me. It's not just about me. What I have in my life and what I carry in my life, I'm open to give to others. And as we live in that posture of generosity, as we live in that place of hospitality, God knows he has a place and a person he can send a divine connection through to go. It's the place of hospitality. It's nothing hard. We can all do that. We can all carry this life bigger than ourselves. We can open up our lives to others. We can open up our home to others. We can open up what we have to others. It's hospitality. But what happens in life is, as we open up our lives to hospitality, sometimes along the journey we can get hurt and get offended. And what we do then is we isolate and separate. And we can take ourselves out of that place of hospitality and say, well, I gave myself, I put myself out there. What did it do for me? And now we withdraw and we isolate and separate there. And and so what we do is not only do we shut ourselves off from the possibilities that God wants to do in my life, but we close the doorways for what he and who he wants to send into our life. 
We take ourselves out of the laneway of our destiny. We position ourselves like Peter. Peter withdrew out of pain and shame and he went off this platform that was getting prepared for him after three years and he goes and gets off the center stage that God wanted for him and puts himself in a little six by six fishing boat and he says, this is where I'm going to isolate. This is where I'm going to separate and this is my part in life now. It's the place of hospitality and we can all operate there thinking that what we have is for others. The second thing she did, she moved to the spirit of receptivity, a place of receiving. She said to her husband, sometime later, the woman said to her husband, I'm sure this man who comes here actually is a prophet. Husband, I, I don't know about you, but, but, but every time, every time I get with this one, I'm sensing something of the God in them. There's something of the God factor. There's something about their life that's just, I, I can't quite fully explain it, but I know this. Every time we meet and connect, I'm perceiving there's something he's carrying that is different from everyone else. We open up our houses and we open up our lives. We have many people coming through, but this one is different. And in our life, we'll do that. I found as I meet people, greet people, we're out there, you know, we're, we're out there connecting and doing all of these things and we love it, we want to do those things. But there are those times that when I hop in the car after meeting someone, I'll say to Michelle, Michelle, she says, yes, that one's different. That one's different. I don't know what it is, but every time I get with that one, something stirs within me. Something about my future. Something about the mission that God's put in me. I can't quite explain how it might happen, but I know this. He's different. He's different. Just happens. She said he's different. And perception is critical to reception, to receive. You cannot receive from what you don't perceive. You tune in. There was a guy I grew up in a country town in Queensland. He won back then, it wasn't the lotto, but he won something called the golden casket ticket. Everyone over the age of 70 said, yes, I remember that. <laughs> the golden casket ticket. And old Mr. Spencer, one of the first things he bought was a TV. Now the trouble was we didn't have a TV station near us. It was sitting in the kitchen, but to get a picture, he had to build a 150 foot antenna way up in the air. And through the window, he had like a rudder on a ship. And we all heard about this TV and we went around there to see this black and white TV, Bailey. It was incredible. And there was more snow, but I'm sure I could see a figure there somewhere. I just made up my own picture, you know. And, I, you know, just, oh, yeah, look at that. He says, it's not turned on yet. Okay, right. Look at that. And so they turned it on and he was, shh. And then Mr. Spencer, he's sitting at the table and he said, wait there, wait there. And he went, 
And the team and I went, and, it, and we'd sing out, hold it, hold it. It's there, we got it, we got it. And the picture would come in. And with our lives, when we meet people, we need to just take a moment. We can pick up and perceive and hold that. Don't lose it. Capture that picture and just say, yeah, there's something here that I need to pick up. Elizabeth and John the Baptist, she was carrying. And it's interesting that when Elizabeth met Mary, it says that as soon as she spoke in Luke chapter 1, as soon as she heard the voice of Mary, Elizabeth didn't get excited. The baby leapt. My future leapt within me. My future leapt within me. What I was carrying, what I was conceiving, when I heard the voice of someone else, my future leapt within me. What I was carrying there leapt and said, yes. Number three, we shift then to the position of opportunity, the place of respect. Whenever he came by, say whenever. Whenever. Now, back in those days, they didn't have a text, didn't have email. He didn't write to her from Jerusalem and send a text and say, listen, I'm calling by on the 3rd of June. Can you be here? We want the house prepared. We want to have the house all neat and tidy. And all the wives said, amen. Whenever. He just rocked up and whenever he came by, she fitted in with his schedule. It's the place of respect the position of opportunity. Her commitment and understanding that she was to be ready to take advantage whenever he came by, she would be ready to serve. When God connects us with such people, we are encouraged to be ready for the whenever. I remember years ago when I started to meet some of these divine connections that God brought into us in our lives, it was crazy. Some of the, I mean, you, you've got to understand, I grew up in a small country town called Emerald, 1,500 people, very similar to a story like Murray Bridge. Murray Bridge is bigger than that. But I grew up in a small country town and uh, nothing there. Left, joined the police department in Brisbane. Had nothing to do with the church until 1981 when I got saved. But then years later, end up on platforms around the world, ministering, and Andrew Evans is on my right, Kevin Connors on my left, over 150 years of ministry, 60, 70 years each. And I used to pinch myself and say, how in the world did I get here? It's crazy, divine connections that God brought into our life. But I found there was one time I was just connecting with this guy and I said to Michelle, she said, he's part of our life. We don't quite understand it, but I know he's going to be a part of our life. We need to honor that and be there whenever. And he rang and said, listen, I'm flying through. I'm landing in Adelaide and it was a Monday. Are you guys free? I just want to take you out for lunch. I want to take you into the city. I just want to spend time with you. And my response straight back was, ah, it's Monday. It's my day off. It's just my day for my wife. I said, I'll get back to you straight away. I saw Michelle and I said, listen, sweetheart, so-and-so is coming through, wants to take us out for lunch. Are you okay with that happening on the Monday? She said, let's do it. It was a whenever moment. We adjusted our diary. We adjusted our time. 
I can imagine Elisha coming in and the woman goes out. She's about to leave her house and shoot him. She's got a shopping list. She's walking down the street and she's about a hundred yards from the house and she looks up and she sees the man with the stick just walking. And as he's coming up, she goes, oh, it's the prophet. Straight away, the shopping list goes in the pocket. She runs back to the house. She gets the table ready. It was a whenever. Whenever he came by, she began to minister. I found out operating in that spirit of opportunity that's probably nine times out of ten, it's always an inconvenience. It's always an inconvenience. Can you come across to Melbourne, Mark? Four of us are just meeting to have one day, all of us together. Well, that's an inconvenience. But out of respect for whom God's brought into our life, we can honour that whenever. Number four, shifted then to the spirit of generosity, the place of release. She said in verse 10, husband, I perceive this man's different. Let's build a small room on the roof, put a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp in it, and he can stay whenever he visits us. Through the journey of hospitality, opening up and living my life bigger than others, through the journey of having a perception and a sharp receptivity, through the time of making an opportunity, I shift now to this posture of generosity, the place of release. She said, listen, husband, I perceive this one is going to be something in our place. I can't quite define it, describe it, or put my hand on it, but I know we have to keep moving forward. The next place and posture, husband, is let's make just a little room for him in our life. Let's make some room for him. It's going to cost us time. It's going to cost us energy. It's going to cost us resources. But we're going to build something in our schedule. We're going to build something in our diary. We're going to build something in our life to make room for this one in our life. It's interesting what she put and they put in the room. Everything in the Bible has a reason. That's not just to fill a verse there while they build a room. Let's put stuff in there to fill that room up. They put a table. The table speaks of refreshment. The chair speaks of rest. The bed speaks of reviving. And the lamp speaks of revelation. One of the ways to identify a marker, a marker trace for a medical term, a marker, that is this a divine connection, is whenever you're with them and whenever you leave them, you always leave full of revelation. You've sensed revival in your spirit. You've been rested and you've been refreshed. They're the characteristics of a divine connection in my life. Every time I walk away, I'm revived, revelation, rested, refreshed. They have done my soul good. They have done my spirit good. They haven't drained me, discouraged me. These things. But it required sacrifice. The generosity to move, to pay the price. I remember Jacob, 
Jacob getting married, remember? His father-in-law Laban works seven years and you get the bride. What a divine stitch up. <laughs> you, thought, you thought Channel 7 had marriage at first sight. No, this was all years ago. This was, this was, this was thousands of years ago. And he, I reckon that was the first marriage at first sight they got there. And uh, he said, oh, here she is. He said, yes, seven years. And he lifted and it went, no, no. I'm at the wrong place with the wrong person. And Laban said, no, baby, that's yours now. But then he said these words. If you want the one you want, you've got to work and walk another seven years. And I love what it says in Genesis 29, 20. And it says this. It seemed like only a few days. You see, listen to this. You listen to this. If the prize is right, the price is light. It's so true. If the prize is right, the price will always be light. Here's a leadership 101. If someone comes to you and says, what you're now asking of me, it's becoming too heavy. It's got nothing to do about their condition. It's got everything to do about their vision. They've lost sight of the prize because the price now is too heavy. Nehemiah reminded them of the prize. When the prize is right, the price is light. Remember David and Goliath? David comes up and he's got this loaf of bread and a few little things for his brothers. Eliab comes out, the big tall Eliab. And he says, what are you doing here? You should be back with those small few sheep. And he says, I'm just coming here to give you some food. While he's there, he sees Goliath. Who's that dude? He said, he's the one against all the army. And then he hears another conversation. He says, and by the way, the king has said, to the guy that takes him down, I'm going to give him my daughter's hand in marriage. I'm going to pay him this and they will not, his family will not pay taxes for the rest of the year. Wow. David says, time out. I'm just going to check this with someone else. What happens if that guy takes down this dude? He gets the daughter of the king, all his debts are removed, and his family don't pay taxes for the rest of their life. He says, I'm in. When he gets before Saul, Saul doesn't tell him about the prize. He tells him all about the problems. He says, hey, listen, that man's been fighting ever since he was a boy. This has been happening. This has been happening. You will look, look, look at you. You're just a run. As soon as he did that, David said, time out. I'm out of here. It's okay. I've got it. And scripture records this. David, walking away from Saul, began to jog, then began to sprint and take off. I worked out the reason he was running is this. 
David said it's not going to be too long before all of those other guys there cotton onto the prize and they will want it too. So I'm running ahead now while I've got the prize in my vision. When others saw Goliath as a huge problem, all David saw was a 10-foot billboard flashing. Free woman, no taxes, debt-free. Free woman, no taxes, debt-free. And he ran towards the prize. So often we've got to focus just on the prize. What happened after this is the second part of a divine connection. This is Elisha's part in the journey. He moved to the place of appreciation, the position of respect. Tell the woman, he called Gehazi, we appreciate the kind concern she has shown us. This is so important. When we come to divine connections, hear my heart. Because God, every one of you in this room, God is positioning people around your life in answer to your prayers to bring people into your lives. But it's not just one way. Elisha could have just landed up at that house, took advantage. But he turned around, and this is the second part of our journey. There's always two parts to play. And he says, listen, I want to show this woman appreciation. He's moved by the actions and the generosities of this woman, and so much so that he lets her know that he appreciates everything she is doing. Divine connections are built and sustained through the power of appreciation, letting the other person know that their life, their fellowship, their generosity is truly appreciated. And I've found in my life I must make time each week to let those people whom God has placed into our lives know that they are appreciated. We can do it in a simple way. I can send an email, a card, an SMS, or a phone call. I take note when I'm having conversations with people. I, I purposely ask them, hey, when did you get married? It's not just a conversation. I'm trying to identify a date and a time. Oh, I got married in uh, 1987. Yeah, well, what month was that? I, I, well, yeah, I got married October. October, I think my family. And so I hone in. I take a mental note because I want to congratulate them on an anniversary date. You're picking up little things like that. You're listening to conversations that, that they're having about ministry and needs and you're identifying and you want to appreciate, you want to show value to this relationship that you have. During COVID 2020, some of my divine connections guys are all itinerants. And I was mindful not just to pray for them, but I was thinking about them. And I'm thinking as a church, we've got the resources to put our TV together, our TV crew and all of that. And, but I'm mindful of these itinerants out there that are in their own home and they don't have these resources. I contacted them and I said, listen, guys, how are you getting on with, you can't travel now because this is their source of income. I said, what are you doing? They said, oh, we're trying to work out how to get our messages on video. And well, I can remember a guy in this town I went around to his house and he's trying to set up. He's got invites to give messages. And so we went around there. And I set up his uh, video and helped him record. And the one up in Queensland, I said, what do you need? He said, I said, listen, get this and get this. We'll pay for that and get this and send it down. And we got our boys to cut and edit and help them. We appreciate connections that God has placed in our life. That's what we're called to do. The second thing is the place of invitation. The position of honour. Now ask her what we can do for her. Does she want me to put in a good word for her to the king 
or the commander of the army. Elisha's still moved by what this woman has done for him and moves past the place of appreciation. He says, is there anything I can do for you? And he says this crazy thing. He says, listen, are you sure I can't do anything for you? Because it's interesting, this little statement, I've got access to the king and I've got access to the commander of the armed forces. And what he was saying is this. He said, listen, nothing is too small for me to help you get what you're carrying in your spirit. I've got access to a king. I've got resources that your dream can't afford, but I want to come and help you. And I've got access to the commander of the armed forces. I can fight some battles that would normally take you out, but I'll stand there in front and fight them for you. There was a pastor here years ago carrying this incredible dream. He used to share it with me. He used to weigh him down. And I said, are you sure? And it was a massive dream. Bigger, and it's always bigger than beyond ourselves. And there came a time, there was a conference in the States and as pastors, we're always so busy. And if there's a conference, it's got to be the right one. We, we, we want to make sure we're watching our time very carefully. And he felt to go to this conference in America, massive conference, over 10,000 people. And he took one of his pastors with him. He told me, he said, Mark, I'm going to America. I'm going to be out of the country about three weeks. And he went over there. While he was there, sitting up in the bleachers, way up there in the nosebleed section, everything's happening down here. He's watching. And for three days, he's just weeping and weeping as God's just touching him. And at the end of the conference, he's just with his other pastor in the hotel room and his phone goes off. It's a text. Please. Can we meet? So-and-so wants to meet with you. So they go and meet this pastor hosting this massive conference. And he brings him into his office. He said, tell me a story. He said, I'm Adelaide, pastor. He said, well, God's told me there would be a pastor coming from Adelaide to this conference for the first time and I'm to meet with you and he said this and I'm to help you resource dreams you are carrying that you can't afford out of that conversation came a new church plant a new TV series everything this man was carrying praying for trying to work out how it would happen but God brought them into relationship with someone that could afford the dreams. All of us are carrying dreams. There's a part that I'm required to play. There's a part that God's required to play. And there's a part that others are to play. In that dream as we come together because it keeps the body together. If it was just me doing it, I would become so puffed up that I could do anything. If it was just me and God, I'd be still arrogant. But if it was me and God and others, everyone, the church gets the witness and the church gets the glory. Amen? 
Number three, the place of observation, the position of prayer and intercession. Thanks, Janessa. What can we do for her? He asked Gehazi afterwards. He suggested she doesn't have a son and her husband is an old man. She needs a miracle to help break her place of pain and shame. Gehazi in the Old Testament with Elisha is always a picture of the Holy Spirit. And he says, as he's praying, he said, God, what can I do for her? He said, I want you to break her place of pain and I want you to break her place of shame. For a Jewish woman not to have a child is a shameful thing. It's a sign that they're not blessed by God. The hand of God is not on them. The favour of God's not on them. And he said, she's carrying this dream within that I want you to release and touch her. And so he says, okay, I'll call her in. And this is the posture where we pray. It's the place of observation coming through. And we're praying and we're praying over them. And I pray over my divine connections. I'm praying over those that God has put in my life. And I'm saying, Father God, what do they need? What is it that they're carrying? Holy Spirit, help me. I've been praying for Sam and Hannah and praying over their life and praying over the church and God, well, what do they need? How can, we, how can we partner to the best? How can we do this journey the best? Lord, I want to be a blessing in this part of the journey. Lord, I pray for Kevin up in Queensland. Father, how do I pray for Kevin and Daryl and their ministry? David McCracken, Lord. Margaret, what do we do, Lord? And I begin to pray. You begin to pray and intercede for those that God has brought into your life. And the Holy Spirit will say this this so you pray for those which moves you to the place of impartation the position of partnership and commitment when he calls her she says listen I'm okay I don't need anything but he persists and calls her back again and this is the place of impartation call her back again Elisha told him And when she returned, he talked to her as she stood in the doorway. I want to land on this one just for a minute. The first time he calls her, She comes up right up front, face to face. Can I do something for you? She says, I'm okay. Man of God, man of God, I'm not doing this to get something. I'm doing this to honor not just you, but God who's brought you into my life. Gehazi, it won't leave him. Go back and get her. Tell her I want to see her again. This time, it's different. He's in the room. Excuse me, prophet. You want to see me? She's got one foot in the room and one foot on the outside of the doorway. She senses what he's about to say 
senses what he's about to say. Scared, nervous, anxious. She says, I'm not fully committed. I'm not courageous enough to step all the way back in. I'm not ready to step all the way back in. You see, I don't want to be disappointed again. I've had other men say something. I've had other people prophesy over my life. I've had other people in visits and I've had other meetings where someone's come and said this and nothing ever happened. And I know what you're about to say. I sense it. And so I'm staying here. I'm protecting myself and my future the best I can. I'm going to stay in the doorway. I sense there's people here today even with this message you're here you're leaning in it's a good message Pastor Mark I reckon that's good for her but I don't know about me I don't know about me and he says these words He talked to her as she stood in the doorway. Next year, at about this time, you shall have a son. Oh, man of God, please don't lie to me like that. Don't let me down. But he spoke and prophesied into her life. Divine connections prophesy about your future. They don't pull and play with your past. They always speak of your future. Elizabeth and Mary, as soon as Elizabeth came, she came into contact. All Elizabeth could do was pick her hand up and shake it and said, Thou art favored. You are favored. And as pastors, we find this. We, people, when you come to church, it's not just a community. It's a prophetic placement of God with prophetic people to prophesy and pull your future out of. That's what a church is. It's a place where we come and we connect with divine connections and we come together and we witness together. We feel it together. We revive together. We feel refreshed together and we prophesy over one another. Your future is great. Hold on to your course. We declare this time next year. That's a good one for us, isn't it? This time next year. Every time Michelle and I talk about this time next year, we are so excited. I tell our staff, get ready, get ready, get ready. This time next year, there's going to be sounds in this house like never before. There's going to be celebrations like never before. There's going to be prophecies fulfilled, mission accomplished, giftings released as we prophesy over one another for the community. But we must walk with an understanding and a wisdom and a stewardship that I just don't happen to be by this person. It's a divine setup. And I understand that. I respect it. I appreciate it. I'm going to pray into it. I'm going to make room for it. 
and I'm going to honor it. Then we end up the place of manifestation. But it was true. The woman soon conceived and had a baby boy the following year just as Elisha had predicted. Amen. Father, musicians come. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this time around your word. We thank you for divine connections. That's why the devil likes to play games with people in churches. If he can get you offended over a little thing, you're not just walking out of a church. Sometimes you're walking or breaking a disconnection with a divine connection that God wanted you to set up. It's bigger. The devil knows it's bigger than what you see. And like when we come in live, life in a church will be like the seasons. We'll have the summer times, the fun times, the, the spring, but we will have the winters. The winters are the pruning. Hold on to the pruning because exponential growth follows in John 15. But when you have this conviction deep down within, this, this is not just my people. This is God-ordained relationships sent by God to a prayer that I had. And I'm going to honor this place. I'm going to honor these people. I'm going to honor these leaders. You pay the price for that because you've seen the price. So, Father, we honor your word today. Can we stand this morning? We honor your word. We honor this time. And Father, I thank you. Just right now, wherever you are right now, just begin to thank God for the divine connections that you have in your life. Just where you are right now, just begin to talk it out and speak it out. Father, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you for those that you brought into my life. I thank you for those that you brought in and brought, Lord, that what they're doing. And I honor, honor them today, Father God. I honor them and I give you the praise, Father God, for what you're doing in and through these relationships. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. When you leave here today, can I encourage you in the first part of the hour, send a text or send something to someone in your life that you know God has brought into your life. Tell them how much you love them. Tell them how much you honor them. Work at the appreciation. Start to pray into their life and start to prophesy over their life and start to speak into their life as you begin to honor just while every head is bowed, every eye closed here, I don't know everyone here today, but through the meeting and the message here today, I don't know if where you are walking with God right now, your relationship with Him. But if you want, if, if, if you're not in that place, you think, Pastor Mark, I'd like to be in that better place with God. I'd like to be walking with Him right now. If that's you, you can say a prayer, and I want to pray with you. Just quickly put your hand up where you are and say, Pastor Mark, would you pray for me right now across this auditorium? Thank you, sir. Thank you. Is there someone else here? Just put your hand up as I can see it and I'll pray for you. Thank you, thank you. Right there, thank you, sir. I see that, I see that hand. Thank you. Church family, can we pray together? Join our hearts with these people that have put their hands up. Pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you today. I ask you, Lord, come into my life. Please forgive me of all my sins. Wash me clean. 
I honour You today. I acknowledge You as my Lord and Saviour. I acknowledge You as my King. And I know right now that as I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Saviour, I am, according to Your Word, saved. I am, according to Your Word, a child of God. I am, according to Your Word, a Christian. Come on, let's praise Him this morning. Let's praise Him, praise Him. Amen. And for those that put your hand up, can I encourage you, just go to the front counter. There's a gift there for you. We'd love to give you a gift and we'd love to follow you up and just to catch up with you. And so I'll see you straight after the service. Amen. Just before I go right now, I just feel this in my spirit. There may have been a relationship that was already there, but somehow something, something's come in and it's caused that to be an offense. I can't, I'm just getting a picture. And you're, you're sensing right now, I need to get this broken relationship made right. Can I encourage you, step up and be the courageous one and just say, hey, I want to do a coffee with you. You're part of my life. I just want to get with you and say, I'm sorry, and get that restored. Can you do that this week? Make these beautiful relationships and connections strong and see what God does. Amen.